Welcome to the 118th episode of the You Thought Sports Podcast. I am joined by most of the usual crew, but unfortunately not everyone. I This is Jared podcasting alongside Lucas, Aiden, and Bart. Wyatt is not joining us this week, but hopefully should be back next week. Um, we're going to kick it off. Let's just dive right in with the news we missed, as we have been doing. Bart completely foreshadowed this. We should have seen this coming. He's been pretty clairvoyant on this show, to be honest, that Carl Anthony Towns... <laughs> Won the three-point competition. Look at that. Look at that. That's, that's I didn't, pretty good. I didn't make any prediction in this capacity. I literally just said he was shooting well this year. I don't want to... Looked in, yeah, yeah, yeah. into the crystal ball. Now listen, Bart, you, will, you can take that kernel of what you said, and if you like draw it out and draw some conclusions, then I think you are correct. So. Oh, so he's going to actually break Steph's record this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bart, he's going to a while last 30 games. Yeah, how much money did you put down on this, Bart? Because he was the longest odds, so you probably came out pretty good right oh man let's just say there were more more zeros than i feel comfortable saying out loud (laughs) okay okay so 10 bucks um so steph curry (laughs) put up (laughs) steph curry put up 50 points and won the nba all-star game kobe bryant mvp award lebron hit the game-winning shot on a pretty nice fadeaway uh turnaround fadeaway and I, I believe, I didn't fact check this, but you might might need to help me out. But I think Team LeBron has won like five in a row. Is that correct? Yeah, he has so. never lost as the captain of yeah. an all-star team. Good for him. He's, he's a motivator. You know, he's a culture guy. He is, especially in the all-star games. Especially in the all-star games. <laughs> it's just like the, the lit GM I, jokes by themselves. Yeah. Exactly. I was a... Uh, I was sad Steph didn't break the record, though. Yeah. 52, 52 was the oh. record, right? He only hit 50. Dude, how did Anthony Davis score 52 in an All-Star game? Yeah, I, didn't I don't watch know. those highlights, but it's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> that he didn't get injured. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's why people are like, he's like a, one of the 75 best players in NBA history, because he put up 52 <laughs> in an All-Star <laughs> game. See, yeah. see, that's the only logical explanation I can think of. So Yeah. Um, in some sad news, if you're a New Zealand soccer fan, uh, New Zealand women's soccer player Michaela Moore scored a hat trick of own goals, though, to help Team USA beat New Zealand 5-0 in international play. So, I mean, to be fair, they were going to lose anyway because they couldn't score and we had two legit goals. But I watched the replay. It was just all like it was just kind of hard to watch. Like it was all just like she was trying to deflect it and then all of a sudden just kind of went off the foot wrong. And you know what I mean? They weren't egregious, yeah. at least from a non-soccer a person that doesn't really have that much soccer knowledge. It didn't look egregious, but it was bad. Yeah, I, I accidentally, I, or I, yeah, I turned on the game at some point, not knowing about it, oh. and I saw the third own goal, and they were like, "Oh, and that is her third of the game." And I was like, "I could not have heard that correctly. Like that cannot be." Yeah, exactly. um, it's absolutely. It, it has to. It's it's yeah. never gonna. It's probably like up there with the Brett Favre like consecutive yeah. stats that where it's like. There's just no chance this gets duplicated ever again. It's yeah. absurd. Yeah. I just would like I, you just have to laugh at it if you're her. I feel like like because it's either like there's no coming back for that or you just laugh it off. And I feel like, like it just has to be the latter. Like that's just crazy. Like yeah. the odds. Yeah. Of oh, that. No, her teammates weren't laughing. They looked pretty. She looked pretty. Yeah, yeah she looked. Yeah. Really After the third one, I again didn't see the first two, but no one was comforting her. Or like yeah, they were like, come on, they were done she with that. <laughs> This year, really? Yeah, like two minutes uh, after. Uh, yikes. Yeah. Uh, in some other uh, interesting news, Juwan Howard, uh, coach of the Michigan basketball team, is su- currently suspended for the rest of the season after getting into an altercation with 
the Wisconsin head coach and team. Any reactions to that? It's kind of wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like wild. It's, it's not that serious, dude. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty mm-hmm. funny, like, the video of it where, like, the CBS, like, ending music was playing. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <just> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they were, like, ready to cut away, and then they just got into a brawl. But... <laughs> Dude, I'm glad you cut that off where you did it, or else we would have been sued for copyright after, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, a exactly. second or two. Exactly. <laughs> Don't want to get demonetized. Um, mm-hmm. And then our last news we missed, the USFL draft was uh, tonight, and Shea Patterson was the first overall pick. Former, Another Michigan story right here, former Michigan mm-hmm. quarterback. Look at, look at him go. So, yeah, I was going to conclude our news we missed. Um we're going to start off with some some NBA news. Obviously, we had the All-Star Game weekend, as referenced earlier. And, uh, you know, when you're young, you often hear that you have potential. And then when you grow up, you hear that the rent's due. It's a paraphrase of Andy Mineo. And I'm sure a bunch of others have said something like this. But it is true. The NBA held his Rising Stars games this weekend. And we know from experience that only a few of these players will truly become a superstar. Bart, to continue this analogy, which Rising Star has the best chance to burn the brightest and anchor a constellation, i.e. team, and which rising star are you most concerned about turning into a neutron star, star or worse, a black hole? First, I'd like to say I love the metaphor. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a good one. Second of all, I'm sorry to say I'm not going to be breaking any new ground here. These are very predictable answers, but I think they're the fair okay. ones. My answer <laughs> to the first question is LaMelo, and my answer to the second question is Jalen Green, based on how bad he's been mm-hmm. this season. Um, let me explain that a little bit more, though. First of all, honorable mentions for the first one, I think. Katie Cunningham, actually, despite how much I, I uh, hated on him earlier this year, he's been good. Evan Mobley's a good answer as well, I think. And yeah. my guy, Anthony Edwards. But LaMelo is, I think, the correct answer. He's kind of a cheat because he's also literally an all-star this year, so it's like, okay. But he is technically <laughs> a rising star. I mean, like, if you look at his, his line, 27-7 this year is the best of, like I think, the, the relevant candidates. He joined LeBron and Luka Doncic as the only players to do that in their sub-21 age season. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's like incredibly well-rounded for how young he is. He's also known as a pass-first kind of guy, but he and Anthony Edwards are the only two who are below 21 to have five 30-point games this year. So he's also like really good at scoring when he wants to be. So he, he, he can carry the Hornets, and he's clearly going to be capable of carrying them uh, like throughout his career, like we've seen that already. And they're also already kind of developing the offense to run more through him and around him, which is great. Uh, his PER is the best of the young stars. And importantly, you can see that he's gotten better from his first season. He's scoring more. He's shooting better from three. He's getting more rebounds. And he's getting more assists. He does have more turnovers, but his turnover percentage this season is still better. So basically, like in every facet that's relevant, he's been better. So on that, on that like kind of note, he's presumably going to continue improving year to year, and I think that bodes well for being the you know the anchoring star of the team in the future. Jalen Green has been god awful. I'm sorry, Jalen Green, mm-hmm. but reevaluate how you play basketball because it's not been good. And you might want to say like, sure, he's bad, but the whole Rockets team is bad. But like, it's not really that simple. He's got a historically bad average plus minus, minus 7.4 this season. Nobody ever, at least as far as they've been tracking that stat, has had that bad of a plus minus. <laughs> He's shooting 38.7%. That's worse than Cade. And again, I crapped on Cade's shooting earlier this season. Cade's like 39 point something. So if you're shooting worse than Cade Cunningham, that's a problem. He's averaging two to 2.3 assists and 2.2 turnovers. So he's basically one-to-one on the system ratio, <laughs> yeah. which is awful. Like, a guard should never be that close to, uh, to, in that ratio. 
Raptor has him as the worst player in the league. Raptors 538's like cumulative how good is a player stat. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can argue about whether 538 is like a great source of basketball intel, <laughs> but I thought that was interesting. Um, so yeah, I just like think the, the the Rockets are bad, but like if you look at Anthony Bennett in his first season, Anthony Bennett is considered like the worst bust ever or among one of them. He was never this bad. Andrew Wiggins in his rookie season when the Wolves went 16 and 66, he wasn't this bad. So there's something more to it. Jalen Green clearly individually is just not playing well. And I think that bodes really poorly. He was hyped up a lot and he's just not been delivering. So I wonder, I wonder if he's going to have to take a look at his jump shot this offseason. Maybe the Rockets just need to try to like reformat their offense or sign some guys to help him out. But like right now, it honestly seems like he might be a bust and out of the league in a few years. Yeah, yeah it would not shock me. I, am, I think his sort of failure to me has always been entirely predictable. I always felt he was like way too overhyped too. And I think him going to the G League, while I understand like you want to like make money and like go into immediately. And I totally understand that impulse, but almost felt like something that informed like why I always thought it was going to be a bust. Cause I feel like if you really want to like test yourself and go through like, like get the good coaching and go through all that, like college basketball will probably be the way to go. And him not doing that and not having that like sort of battle test experience, I think is sort of the reason why this has all been sort of predictable to me. Like he's never competed at like the highest level of people in his age group about the sport. And I think at least this year it's showing as well. I don't know. I feel like, not to, I, I think Jalen Green has also been bad, but I feel like the G League would potentially have more competitiveness than college basketball for a guy his age, or more consistent competition than college basketball, where there are a fair amount of teams that they're like a Jalen Green's going to go to a good college basketball team that's going to roll over a bunch of guys. Um, and I, I feel like the G League at least is going to, everyone there has made it past college. They're maybe not NBA ready the same way that you'd be playing, you know, some future NBA stars in college basketball. But I feel like it's it's still a pretty good test. Yeah, I just feel like there, there's you're not going to play against any guys who are draft pick or were probably like at least first round draft picks or high first round draft picks. Whereas in college, you every year will get that. Like if you're on Duke or North Carolina or uh kentucky or kansas or whatever like i feel like you're getting that competition at least occasionally but in the g league like you're not competing against other elite prospects i mean it, i don't think it's like that huge of a difference but it always felt like taking that path mm-hmm. and maybe just because i heard about him less and all that like always sort of made me think he was not going to turn out to be as good as he was and yeah. i don't know we'll see yeah. people can have bad years but i think i'm with bart on this one that he might be the most likely to flame out pretty yeah. early did anyone else, a quick aside, see his performance in the dunk contest? Where he yes, yeah, I was going to mention that as well. Not, <laughs> took him nine attempts, right, to complete his dunk. It's probably going to result in uh-huh. like, a change in the rules. But <laughs> well, I didn't. I didn't even watch it. I haven't watched the dunk contest in years. But I, I, well, everybody was struggling, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I saw some stat that their their like field goal percentage yeah. was really low, and <laughs> right? it was a dunk contest, which is terrible. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but I, I, I'm just saying they definitely might change the rules. But uh, I don't. I don't want to blame <laughs> Jalen specifically. Yeah. Lucas, what do you think of uh, Tyrese Maxey? I think Tyrese, he's on my list of like guys who I think might burn the brightest. I don't think he's ever going to be like leading a team to like an NBA title or something like that. But I think like in terms of guys with like the highest upside of being consistent like starters in the NBA, I think he's towards the top. He's really like really taken a leap this year. He's always been quick. He can always get to the hoop, but he really developed a jump shot this year. Like he was a pretty bad three point shooter um, in the past. 
well, like in the past, his um his first year, his rookie season. Yeah. His rookie season. Um, but this year his three point percentage is basically at the league average, like which is huge on like a Sixers team that really struggles for outside shooting. He's got great vision. He like he's working his way to I think being like a really good three level scorer. Like again, I don't think he's ever going to be like the best player on a championship team, but I think in terms of guys that have the best chance to be consistent starters and playing the league for like ten years, I think he's like towards the top. The four I had written down were. Or the five I had written down were Mobley, Edwards, Lamelo, Halliburton, and Maxi. Yeah. I think yeah. have the best chance of like really succeeding going into the future. Yeah, Hall- yeah, Halliburton's a good one. Yeah, I'm really interested to watch Halliburton because he's only four games into his Pacers career, but he's averaging 19 a game um, at the moment, which is a big jump from his like 14 on the Kings. We kind of talked about the fact mm-hmm. that they had a crowded backcourt where he was, you know, probably fighting for outside shots with Buddy Heald and mm-hmm. Darren Fox. Um, so. Yeah, I think there's a good chance we'll even see Halliburton take a leap in the second half of the season. Yeah. Do you think there's any players that are being overhyped? Like, not where they're universally considered bad, but somebody that's, like, getting hyped that you're not sure is going to live up to it? Anybody? It could be nobody, but anybody in particular. I've seen Josh Giddy get a bunch of hype, and I guess I'm not sold Mm. on that either yet. Um, cause he, he's definitely like a really fun player, creative, um, you know, he pulls down a lot of rebounds. He's probably going to triple double machine at some point. Um, but he can't really shoot. And that kind of worries me from a, like, I feel like you need a, you need to be able to shoot in today's NBA and we haven't seen evidence that he can really do that yet. So some guys develop it, some guys don't. So. Yeah. Yeah. I am happy for, <clears throat> despite maybe what you think of the rest of the the Ball brothers or Ball family. I am happy for Lamelo, especially yeah, coming after too. a major injury too, and still being you know making those strides while having to rehab that injury. I think is uh, really impressive and yeah, he's a fun player to watch as well. Yeah, I, lo- I love Lamelo. I think he's great. Yeah. Can I talk about an underhyped one? I don't know if we're gonna yeah get yeah. Or not Let's too. talk about. Under-hyped. I think. Ayo Desumnu for the for the Bulls has been really really good um, in terms of like making some level of contribution since um, you know the Bulls have had their injuries and he's come in he scored pretty much double digits in all games he had 14 assists in a game of last week like I think he's been really like a solid role player and like filled in a lot of gaps when they've had some injuries so I think he's going to be like again I don't even think like maxi level like starter on a championship team but I think he's going to be a really good role player like for years to come in the NBA. Alrighty, I think that'll conclude then our NBA talk. We're going to do a couple NFL segments here. Starting off, the NFL front offices slash ownership have completed their assignments of hiring a new head coach. Now it's time for us, the teachers, to dish out some grades. Who aced the assignment and who needs to have an emergency parent-teacher conference? Let's start with the Chicago Bears and Matt Eberfluss with Bart. I don't even know how to say his last name. Yeah, I didn't look yeah, it up. I'm so right? sorry to Matt. I'm so sorry, Matt. But yeah. Anyways, I give this one a B minus. It's fine. Um, like the upside is that he's a defensive coach. Like clearly, they wanted to change because Matt Nagy was an offensive guy, and his defenses on the four years that he was the Colts coordinator were all <laughs> like pretty pretty solid. They were quite good. They were consistently like uh, in the upper tier of the NFL in points allowed, maybe not in yards allowed, but like ultimately points allowed is the thing you care about. And they were also consistently really good 
at takeaways. I've spoken before about I like I was under the impression that takeaways year to year are not a reliable like consistent stat and that they will fluctuate a lot. But somehow Eberflus has managed to like crack the code, if you will, and he's he had the Colts consistently getting a lot of those, which is part of the reason why their defenses were so good. So in that sense, great. The Bears' defense is probably going to be fine, uh, like moving forward with him as the coach. The problem is, I think the Bears were probably misguided in what they were like focusing on because it seems like Fields developing Justin Fields should have been the focus, right? Absolutely. And so they hired a defensive yeah. coach and they're now kind of omitting the offensive end. I mean, like, obviously, who knows? Maybe this guy's actually a quarterback guru. But based <laughs> on what we know about him, he, he's going to be offloading that development work to somebody else. And it just seems like they probably should have focused on hiring a head coach who can make sure that Fields develops because that's honestly, like, now it kind of seems like their careers are tied together. So I give it a B- minus because I think their defenses are going to be rock solid, but it really comes down to whether yeah. he can make Justin Fields better. Mm-hmm. And I think it will be a theme throughout that I honestly just don't know if it really makes that much sense to hire defensive-minded coaches anymore. I, I think, honestly, you should just always go young offensive minds at this point. It seems like that's kind of the trend in what's working out. I'll get We'll get into that maybe a little bit later. But um, How about the Denver Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett, Aiden? Yeah, that's a good segue, Jared, on offensive coaches. Um, I have it as an A. I think it is a good hire, like oh, a really go. good hire. Um I think obviously the Broncos had a good defense. They gave up third fewest points in the league this year. Um, they only scored the 23rd most points. They need offense. Hackett can bring that offensive success is pretty much followed wherever he went. Um, obviously, we've seen him take even Aaron Rodgers to, to new heights over the past two years. Um, he also, in the past, has created a surprisingly formidable offense out of Blake Bortles and Leonard Fournette <laughs> in Jacksonville um, and gave <clears throat> Kyle Orton his career year in Buffalo. Um and so he he can make something out of out of meh uh, and make really good guys look amazing the way he's done with Rodgers. Um, obviously, like some aspect of this is the Broncos hoping that um, he'll lure talent with him. Obviously, that that would be nice for them. Them getting Aaron Rodgers or even like you know Russell Wilson or something would be um, obviously a huge boost. But even if they don't um, and they have to you know develop a draft or develop a QB, um, I still think it's a good hire. Yeah, I don't have any problems with it either. I think it's good. Conversely, we're going to go to the the Houston Texans um, hiring Lovey Smith, and I'm up on this one. Lovey Smith as a person seems great, but this is an F. Oh, no. The Texans, as usual, were at the bottom of the curve. First off, it was complete. It was very stupid to fire David Coley after completely overperforming with the the worst roster in the league. First off, and I heard speculation that this was always like a one-year move with Coley because he was old he was 66 years old but if that's part of their philosophy it makes no sense to bring in Lovey Smith who's 63 <laughs> and I think ageism is definitely a thing probably in you know NFL any sports really yeah. unless you're already kind of like an established legend Lovey Smith like he had success with the Bears he made it to a Super Bowl but in his NFL career he's a 500 coach at Illinois his percentage was 300 304 like and Illinois improved the in conference play by going from two wins with him to four games this last season when he left so I think in a coaching cycle where it appeared to be one of the deepest talent pools uh it doesn't really make that much sense the last time he took over a rebuilding project with the Bucks he went two and 14 and six and ten like I'm all for giving like you know Lovey Smith a chance to prove themselves but to prove themselves and like people that 
obviously, like, you shouldn't be judged on, like, one bad stint with the Bucks. But he was the defensive coordinator for them last year, and they had the second-to-worst defense in the league in terms of yards allowed per game. So it's like, I don't think this makes sense really in any respect. I really don't. I, I give this an F. I'm sorry. Whenever you start with, I love him as a person, but... Yeah, but I will be rooting for him, but yeah. this is an F. This is an F. A-plus beard, though. Yeah, A-plus yeah. beard for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to the Jaguars. Lucas hiring the coach of your former team, the Eagles, Doug Peterson. What do you think of this one? Yeah, I think this is an A hire. Um, I think he has experience in the highest levels, obviously, and he's the only one of the hires this cycle to have won a Super Bowl. And I think that's a really good place to start. I mean, the issue with the Jaguars is that there's just so much sort of like institutional chaos with like everything that happened with Urban Meyer last year. Um, with just there seem to be like draft strategies poor. Everything is bad, and I think Doug Peterson. Is definitely going to be a steadying influence. His weakness with the Eagles was that he almost was too loyal to a fault. He held on to coaches too long. They were clearly failing and underperforming, and units and players that were just not living up to snuff. So while there are obvious issues with like maybe putting too much faith in people, I think having this sort of consistency for the Jaguars is going to be good and sort of just steadying the ship there. He's also shown he had the best out of often mediocre quarterbacks and Wentz and Foles. And I think that bears well for Lawrence's future because I think Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, has a much bigger upside than either Wentz or Foles um, ever did. Um, and I think Peterson is known with working with and succeeding with quarterbacks, and I think Lawrence will be another one of them. So overall, I think it's just like a good safe hire with experience. It's maybe not like the sexiest pick, but he's he'll be a steadying influence. He has success developing quarterbacks, and that's just sort of what the Jags need. And so I think they had an A plus hire on this one. Yeah. I think I also agree. A lot of people seem to like it around the journalism corners as well, the talking heads. I think it's a good steadying influence. It's like a prudent, shrewd pick, I guess you could say. Um, Let's go over to the Raiders hiring Josh McDaniels. I'm giving out the grades for this one. I'm giving it a B. I think I like this more than most of the internet seems to. I'm going to address, try to address some of the objections that people seem to have to this hire. First one is that Bill Belichick's coaching tree hasn't done well in the NFL. My rebuttal would be that most of them are defensive minds, or at least not not offensive. So like Joe Judge, special teams, obviously didn't work out. Matt Patricia was a def- defensive coordinator, didn't work out with the Lions. Jim Schwartz, also with the Lions. Defensive guy, didn't work out. Nick Saban, defensive guy, didn't work out. For all the criticism that Bill O'Brien got, he was an offensive coordinator under Belichick, and he was good as a coach in the NFL. His downfall was that he wasn't a good GM. That's that's my first rebuttal. Second one is Josh McDaniels spent a lot of time under Belichick compared to a lot of these other assistants. Another guy that spent a lot of time under Bill Belichick was Brian Flores. He spent like 15 years under Belichick, and I would say he was a successful coach. He just did, he just got a terrible situation and obviously didn't get enough time. It was pretty unjust firing in his case. So I think there's another point for McDaniels there. The last point that people are going to say is he didn't have a successful tenure in Denver. But I think the disclaimer disclaimer for me is I obviously I wasn't like watching football super closely in like 09 and 10 when he was there. <laughs> but I think it's almost impossible to win this league without a good quarterback. We talked about this a few weeks ago and he had Kyle Orton and Tim Tebow. Like I don't know if you can <laughs> blame McDaniels that much for that. Now he's got Derek Carr and they're also bringing in the Patriots' former director of personnel, Dave uh, Ziegler. He's going to be the new GM there. So I think that 
that duo might create a little more cohesion that he didn't have in Denver. There was like instant turmoil in terms of personnel when he was in Denver from what I saw, from what I read. So I, I give it a B, like it's not a slam dunk, but I think it's, I honestly, I think it's pretty good. What about the uh, Miami Dolphins with Mike McDaniel, Lucas? Yeah, going from McDaniels to just one McDaniel, <laughs> last name. But I, I don't know. I think the discussion about this hire can't be like talked about without the context of what came before it. Um, I think it's a solid hire for a number of reasons I'll explain below. But I do think in the immediate short term, it's a downgrade from Flores, who put together two back-to-back winning seasons. And I think that automatically knocks like this hire down a peg because normally. You know, when you're hiring a new coach, you're trying to move it forward, new vision, do something to improve. And I think in the immediate short term, they're not going to be better. That being said, I think in the abstract, it's not an awful hire. He comes from the Mike Shanahan coaching tree of coaches that have been really successful recently. The floor, McVay, Kyle Shanahan. Um, and and the, as the offensive coordinator in San Francisco and run game coordinator, he did a really good job. He got a lot of Debo Samuel using him in really creative ways. I hope he can do stuff like that. With the Dolphins and get getting, I don't know, an offense to almost the Super Bowl and to the Super Bowl um, with Jimmy G is impressive. The fact that you can structure an offense around maybe not the most talented quarterback that can be, you know, competitive enough to make deep playoff runs every year is encouraging. I think it's especially encouraging because the Dolphins do need offense. Um, they were 22nd last year, and so, you know, they need to start developing Tua eventually and started sort of investing in that or, I don't know, things aren't going to work out. That all being said, something about the hire just doesn't quite stick with me because I feel like it's a downgrade from Flores, who like was successful in two years. So solid, but in context, I think it's a BB minus hire. Okay, that's fair enough. Bart, you get to pick. You get to give out a grade to your Minnesota Vikings hiring Kevin O'Connell. What do you I'm try, trying to be unbiased here? I, I think it's an A minus. It's like an A minus B plus <laughs> somewhere on that line. I mean, it's not a perfect hire. Um, one thing that concerns me is that he is a first-time head coach, and that this is also a knock that I, I meant to mention about Eberflus, but it's particularly interesting here because the Vikes also got a first-time GM now, and so that pairing might be a little bit dicey at some point because they're both kind of learning things as they go. And so he's always going to be compared if he's bad to what could have been or what people's perception of what could have been is with Jim Harbaugh, given that that whole thing got so much media attention. Who knows? Um and, you know, he also, like, you don't know what he brings offensively, given that McVeigh is the actual, like, offensive genius over there, um, and he was the offensive coordinator. But it's still, like, I think it's, I think it's rock solid. He's, like, the polar opposite of Zimmer. He's young, he's energetic, he's approachable, he's likable. You know, all the complaints that players had, apparently, about Zimmer was that he would, like, literally pass you in the hallway and not talk to you. He was, like, very hard to approach <laughs> and just, like, hard, hard to talk to. So I think that's great. Uh, obviously, he's got the Super Bowl pedigree now. Awesome. Uh, it's also really encouraging if you just, like, we talked about this before, about McVeigh's disciples, like uh, Brandon Staley, um, who else did he have? Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur. All three of them have done, like, quite well for themselves so far. So if O'Connell can, like, keep in that, in, you know, in that pattern, then that's great. Um, I think ultimately it just comes down to what he actually brings to the offense. The Vikes have a lot of weapons offensively, so if he is, like, you know, a good offensive mind, which you hope he is since he learned under McVeigh, then that Vikes offense is going to be absolutely lethal with them, which is good. Yeah, they could be really exciting to watch next year, actually. I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. Uh, Aiden, what about the Saints hiring Dennis Allen? Um, I've got B-, minus, which I know a lot of people are very down on it, giving it failing yeah. grades. I think it's a little harsh. I, hiring from within isn't very sexy, um, but 
And I mean, the t- the Saints aren't a team that needed to fire their coach. In those cases, I feel like it makes sense to bring in someone entirely new. Um, but for the Saints, who have been consistently good over the past five years, obviously they you know um, didn't make the playoffs this year. Um, but maybe it's okay to promote someone you already know and trust, and it gives continuity. Um, and Allen has been a good defensive coordinator. Obviously, the knock on Allen is that he's had a previous head coach stint, and it didn't go super well. He was 8-28 and as coach of the Raiders <laughs> from 2012 to 2014. Um, you know, to be fair to him, as Jared was talking earlier with QBs, his QBs were a late career Carson Palmer and then Terrell Pryor. Um, so oh, wow. <laughs> pretty <laughs> tough draw uh, before he was fired during Carr's rookie season. Um, but also on, on the other end, um, the Raiders were 16 and 16 in the two years before him and 19 and 13 in the two years after Allen's stint at coach when, again, he was eight and 28 or two and a half years that he was coach. Um, so, you know, there are coaches who have done a lot better in their second stint. <laughs> Bill Belichick's first stint, he had a losing record with the Browns. Um, Allen was pretty bad. But it seems like they think highly of him. Um, and I think it's okay for them to kind of stick with a guy that they know at this point, given that they're not kind of at the bottom of the barrel, a la, you know, the Texans or whatnot. Um, with that said, the Saints, you do worry about the Saints a bit with their bad cap situation and no clear QB. Um, it could be a team that well, we've associated with success. No, so yeah, Ian Book. Um, <laughs> but sorry, Ian. Um, but um, it does seem like it's it's possible that the Saints could kind of fall off over the next couple of years when I've kind of yeah. associated them with success for the, you know, not, they had some down periods, but they've been pretty consistently successful over the, during Sean Payton's uh, turn. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed on all fronts. And lastly, we'll go with the New York Giants, Brian Dable. I'm doing this one. I think the Brian Flores situation, notwithstanding, I give this higher an A. I think he was the best coordinator outside of Eric Bieniemy with the Chiefs, maybe even including Eric Bieniemy in terms of like how much you think Andy Reid is responsible for the Chiefs' success versus Bieniemy. But either way, he de- he definitely did help develop Josh Allen into like a top three or four quarterback by the time the playoffs rolled around. Like in in the two year in two years, Josh Allen went from ten touchdowns and twelve picks, albeit that was in eleven games, and a fifty two point eight completion percentage to Two years later, he's second in the NFL in MVP voting. 37 touchdowns, 10 picks, 69 completion percentage, like a 17-point jump. That's that's really good. He won assistant coach of the year for that in 2020. And, like, the weapons available in New York are not going to be the same as, like, Stefan Diggs and, and Josh Allen. But I think, um, like I said, when you look at the coaches that have succeeded, they're usually, like, bright offensive minds. It's not defensive-minded guys anymore, so... I think this has a pretty good chance of succeeding, and I think Wyatt is excited about this hire as well. So, I mean, maybe we'll ask him next week. I give it an A, personally. Yep, I agree. Oh, alrighty then. Let's move on to the the fate of the furious, the the quarter bachelor. <laughs> Many NFL quarterbacks are in, let's say, complicated relationships with their teams. They've said things they can't take back. They've been angry at each other. So for each quarterback and team, we're going to give a, a relationship status slash narrative slash analogy and elaborate <laughs> from there on what we think the fate of that relationship is going to be or like how they should be thinking about it. Let's start off with uh, Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals who have been a, who's had a tumultuous like last three weeks or so. 
Um, Lucas, starting with you, what's characterize this for us? I think he's the disinterested lover dreaming of a past flame. I think it's pretty clear that Kyler's heart might not totally be in his current fling with football and the <laughs> Cardinals. Um, playing on that team, I just it seems like a not a good relationship where they're always high expectations but always disappointing results in the end. They always start off great and then as the year goes on, just fall off and fall off. And I guess I'm guessing that's hard. Um, especially when he's playing well generally, but then not being rewarded for it. And to make all of it worse, he has this past lover in the background, baseball, which keeps sort of calling his name, and he can't sort of shake and get off his mind. So in the end, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't mend this relationship with the Cardinals and instead darts back to baseball within the next year or two. Uh, Aiden, what do you think? I think he's all talk. I think he's the type that, you know, puts out cryptic posts, you know, like, I'm going <laughs> to... One lie is enough to question all the truth or like th- these aren't things that Kyler said, but or I have a good Chloe Kardashian <laughs> tweet about Tristan Thompson. Don't talk to me about loyalty. <laughs> I'm still here holding secrets for people who are throwing dirt on my name and like stuff like that. I feel like Kyler's you know, doing that. He's, you know, deleting all his Instagram pictures, you know, um, and that kind of thing. Um, and as Lucas said, you know, he might start posting photos with other potential suitors like him with a baseball bat. Mm. Um, but <laughs> I think that the Cardinals are going to realize that they, they need him and will give him a new contract uh, or they'll promise him, you know, that it'll be big next year and he'll be back. I don't think the baseball talk is, it's been two or three years since he played baseball. I feel like it's more talk than actual, um, you know, realness, but we'll see. It'd be pretty wild. If, was... uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. After the yeah. lockout, he's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he picked the worst possible time to go back to baseball (laughs) i was gonna say like how credible are these mlb are they coming from his camp or like where are these coming from are these coming from out of thin air dude it literally might be like fans on social media who are like Uh fictioning (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it's funny the a the a's have its rights yeah right i forget how long it like holds for but i think it's it is still holding um and it's just interesting Mm -hmm. this is like such a unique kind of leverage point that kyler's got they could just be like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to not another team, <laughs> yeah. but to another sport. Yeah. That would be that would be crazy. Mm-hmm. What about, um, I'm not sure Carson Wentz has a future in baseball. What about Carson <laughs> Wentz and the Indianapolis Colts, Bart? I'm going to say this is, this is like a pretty good example of, quote unquote, it's complicated. Uh, the, the waters are murky here. It, it's it, if you think back, this relationship started off because one of the two partners was lonely and just desperate, <laughs> right? And we all know it's not a great sign when you are so lonely that your standards start to slip. But that seems like what happened here a little bit. <laughs> and it started off well, right? Once once got the juicy contract. Just, I, I looked in his like first seven games, he had eleven touchdowns to one pick. They were doing all right. It seemed like things were going to be fine, but then. Once you get to know the person better after a few months, you realize that it's a facade and what's underneath <laughs> is not what you thought was on the surface. And that's what the Colts got with Wentz. Also, the person who is frustrated here, their parents, they're coming down hard on them. They're like, when are you going to get married? When are we going to be parents? That's the Colts' ownership saying, we want a Super Bowl and we think we can win one this decade. Apparently, Jim Mercer said that. So that's pressure. That's stressful. Where do they go from here? Basically, the question is, is the person going to be able to find someone that they think is better or are they going to have to settle? I think the Colts will move on because they will be able to find someone better. All the signs seem to be pointing to them being done with Wentz. It seems like there's just like, you know, tension here that can't be resolved. 
But it really comes down to will they be able to actually find a quarterback that they're happier with? I don't know because it's not you know it's not clear cut whether there are actually better options out there right now. Lucas, what do you think? I'm gonna say this is the relationship was one where one is way more invested than the other in making it work. Um, I said, listen. It's clear that Wentz is... Listen, listen. And Wentz is the one who's way more invested in making this work than the Colts are at this point. Um, he's always presenting himself. He's the team-first guy who's just here to make his team succeed, and he's not really living up to his end of the bargain here. And I still think that he thinks the Colts are behind him and he's going to come back better and ever next year. Like He just seems like you know a positive guy in that way. But he's not confronting reality. The Colts, they're just not invested anymore in this relationship. They're sort of hanging on to it for old time's sake. And have publicly, have publicly expressed, com, com, they have publicly said they are not confident in Wentz anymore. And according to reports, they're willing to cut him or train him. So this is like somebody, you know, it's another like sort of like cryptic, not even cryptic, like tweet. It's like you posting in your story being like, you know, looking back at better days. Um <laughs> With your old fling. So I think the Colts might stick it out for old time's sake for another year because they feel bad about how much they've already invested into this relationship. But I don't think they'll be able to keep it invested for that much longer. And this is his last year, like best case scenario for Wentz. Yeah. I love that. Those were good analogies. I love that one. I like the more invested than the other party. Yeah. <laughs> we've got the the relationship of all relationships maybe the Kim and Kanye I guess I don't know uh, Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay Packers um, I'm starting off on this one this is the relationship where they've been dating for like 15 years a really long time but never proposed never got married and now one of them one of the suitors Rodgers is looking for commitment wants more input in how their life is designed and then the Packers, what they what they do is they publicly flirt with a younger suitor in Jordan mm-hmm. Love, and Aaron Rodgers like the the bells start going in there. He's like, wait, that's what that's kind of what I did. He was a younger suitor that replaced Brett Favre. Um, so I think the the way this relationship ends though is that Rodgers retires as a Packer. In my opinion, I think he has everything he needs in Green Bay. To be honest, like I know like Aiden mentioned that the Broncos hired Hackett to lure Rogers over to the Broncos, but I really don't understand. I don't think there's any logic in going to not only the AFC, but the AFC West yeah. and playing Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, six times a year total. Like he wants to make a Super Bowl, and the best chance of doing that is staying in the, NF- the NFC, which just got weaker without Brady. Maybe if McVeigh retires or whatever, you know, whatever he's <laughs> talking about, and Aaron Donald retires, yeah. the Rams are going to be weaker. Like, I think, uh, you know, they Devontae Adams resigns, the Packers commit to Rodgers, and they, they give him a draft class that finally makes sense. They've publicly, like, been saying, like, oh, we love Aaron and all that stuff. Um, and I think it gets a happy ending, I think. I don't know about a Super Bowl, but I think it gets a happy ending. Um, Bart, what do you think? I actually agree to disagree i Uh-oh. my my take is, is a <gasps> little more fan. cynical yes maybe this is <laughs> like span speaking but to me this is a marriage that is on its last legs it is fizzling out somebody's not happy okay and 15 percent of u.s marriages end in divorce i don't know the numbers are murky on that but it's something like that so maybe it's not so surprising to me this is a marriage that that had too much <laughs> goodness too soon you know they won the super bowl early on 
They thought they were going to be able to keep it rolling. They thought that they were going to see so much happiness and, and growth together over the course of their marriage. And then it just didn't happen. They actually didn't, they didn't even make the Super Bowl again after that first one. So mm-hmm. to, to me, it's like one of the two people is just realizing that, oh, this marriage is actually not giving me anything anymore. I'm not happy with this person anymore. I'm not growing anymore. It's time for a change. Unfortunately, in a divorce, you only need one person to want it. I think that's Aaron Rodgers in this case. I think he's seen Tom Brady go to the Bucks and win a Super Bowl. He's seen Matthew Stafford go to the Rams and win a Super Bowl. I think he might be telling himself the green, the grass is indeed greener on the other side. Obviously, yeah, I don't know where he would go. But yeah, that's me, well. Where is like, the grass? Yeah, mm-hmm. where is the grass greener? I mean, the, I think the Broncos is a very valid. Remember, we talked about the mm-hmm. best, the best head coach destinations. I think. Everything about the Broncos was solid except for the quarterback situation. If he could slot in there, that's beside the point. The point is that he doesn't want to here anymore. I think he's he's given, he's given too many like too many hints and suggestions that he wants to leave. In my opinion, he's mm. I think he it would be uncomfortable for him to stay. Is my interpretation. But you're right. Maybe it's just the Vikes fan and me wishing he leaves. <laughs> I don't know. Got some real. Oh, go ahead, sorry, Jared. I was just gonna say, if I'm Rodgers, I'd I'd rather play Jared Goff, Justin Fields, and Kirk Cousins than the the other th- trio that I mentioned, <laughs> personally. Okay. Lucas, what you're gonna say? Oh, he just had some real life relationship drama recently too. Yeah, you know, thing that all in. He posted yeah. a, a thing on yeah. Instagram about it, even which is weird. I know. Speaking of Aiden's social media posts. <laughs> <laughs> what were they engaged? Yeah, they were engaged. Yeah. yeah. Um. Let's go over to another like pretty public <laughs> relationship, complicated <laughs> relationship. Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers. Aiden, what do you say? What say you? Pretty amicable on the surface. You know, it's the, the type of, I don't know, it's a marriage. And uh, they both end up posting sappy messages about how much they've grown during their relationships. <laughs> and, you know, how it's mm-hmm. all about the journey. Um, and how they, they wouldn't trade their time for anything. But they're also separating. Um, and like, has it actually been amicable? I, I don't know. Um, but you know, they're going to keep reporters are going to keep asking their kids, you know, like, like George Kittle, um, like, how do you feel about this? And he'll be like, I I like dad, but you know, I'm, I'm open to what, whatever mom, um, has in store for us. Um, and you know, the 49ers have already pretty publicly moved on to a a new younger suitor in the form of Mm -hmm. Trey Lance. Um, though apparently, uh, they're talking about making Jimmy G's next destination a collaborative effort. Um, so, oh. yeah, mom's going to, I don't yeah. know, hook Jimmy G up with a friend or something. Um, so that's that's good for <laughs> Jimmy G. We're excited about that. I Again, below the surface, I'm not sure like if there is a lot of drama with this, but it seems like there hasn't been that much drama so far. They both seem like they're moving on. Um, and I think Jimmy will end up with a, a not bad team. Because if you're a bad team, you wouldn't want to start anew with Jimmy G. I feel like he could end up with the Steelers or, I don't know, the Washington Commanders, maybe even Tampa Bay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I um, I said that the 49ers, the, they, they didn't get married. The 49ers never deleted the dating apps <laughs> off their phone when they got together with Jimmy G. Sure, they paused the profile a little bit when they're in the middle of that Super Bowl run and maybe <laughs> even this year a little bit, but... Uh, they got back on the apps because they saw all their competitors, the people they hate, had very attractive partners in Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Matt Stafford. <laughs> so they got back on the apps, and they, they did their best to level up. They went all in to get Trey Lance, obviously trading away some picks. 
like on their Facebook profile, they had the relationship status was open relationship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you still yeah, yeah, yeah. They still do that on Facebook, but um, I think football wise, if they move off Jimmy G, I think Jimmy's like happy. I think there's definitely suitors available. Like Aiden, you mentioned that they're gonna they're gonna hook him up with a friend, but like not too close of a friend. Like they don't yeah. want to keep him in the NFC, maybe. So maybe they. Well, maybe they do. I, I do like the the Panthers and Bucks as potential options. Aiden, you mentioned the Bucks, mm-hmm. but also the Steelers. I think um, mm-hmm. might be a good option as well in the AFC. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a good market for him. I was wondering, do you think Jimmy G was injured a lot? Is that is that akin to impotence or what, what was that? <laughs> what is that ED? I don't know. We can we can draw that comparison. <laughs> we'll, we'll <work>. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Jared, do I want to ask which which apps are uh, are the Forty Nine ers using most? Are they Tinder people? Are they Hinge? Are they Bumble? Are they, they subscribing to Match.com? I think they used Hinge. I they yeah. they were going for more like holistic a holistic evaluation with mm-hmm. Trey Lance and like oh he's yeah. a great person and everything yeah. he's going to be a great leader yeah that's what I think what do you think <laughs> I think Hinge is a good choice yeah. I, I want to imagine that he like used the like my love language is from or something yeah. like that <laughs> that really swayed him it's just yeah. hard though to believe that anyone is turning down Jimmy G and looking to dating apps in terms from a physical perspective if we're talking about yeah like, I mean workers, he's know, a movie he's got a movie to, star exactly. for sure. mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine it, but. when we do our episode where we rank the hottest <laughs> athletes exactly. you know <laughs> yeah. he sneaks into the top 10 <laughs> Um, let's go over to um, Bart's team, but Bart will not be doing any commentary on this. Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings. I'm starting off here. I think the Vikings are like the the partner. Again, they're not married, but they're the partner that always defends their partner for all their mistakes because they're a good person. But they're they're like the constant focus of criticism, like. Not like outright insults, but like a lot of subtle jabs from people they know and mm-hmm. stuff like that on Kirk Cousins, like the Monday Night Football record, primetime record, whatever you want to say it. Mm-hmm. And everyone else can see it's not going to work out, but the Vikings are like kind of comfortable right now. Um, it's like one of those high school relationships or college relationships that you knew of where like, yeah, that's a high school relationship. Like it's not it's not going to happen after high school. I think that's kind of what it is. <laughs> um, they, I mean, like. Even look look at Washington. They would never commit to Kirk. They just kept franchising, tagging him until he was completely unaffordable, essentially. You know what I mean? And then I think with Kirk, like from a football level, they're going to have a serious talk on what that relationship, i.e. contract, should look like mm-hmm. next season. And it's going to be like a lower, a much, I think it's going to be a lower offer to help him give, give him some flexibility elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think honestly that, yeah, like, yeah, they're going to they're gonna try to keep him on a more team-friendly contract. Because I don't know what they're going to get better, similar to the Colt situation, Bart. I'm not sure, like, what they can get that's better than Kirk. Like, I don't think Aaron Rodgers wants to go to Minnesota. I don't think Russell Wilson wants to go to Aaron Rodgers. That would be a twist. (laughs) Or I don't think Russell Wilson wants to go to Minnesota. So I'm not, like you said, like, I'm not as big of a Kirk hater as the rest of national media is. um, As much as, like, I like to joke about him, too. But Lucas, what do you think? I think these are two people who settled for each other and convinced themselves they're happy. Um, I think oh neither. These are dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, neither of the Vikings or Kirk Cousins are in a bad place right now, but I wouldn't say either of them are necessarily in a good place right now. Either They're sort of like occupying this limbo area, but I think they've convinced themselves they're in a good place. Um, I don't think Cousins, despite his strengths, 
uh, is a team that can lead, um, is a quarterback that can lead a team to a title. I think that that's just been proven at this point. And the Vikings, they're also not in a great space. They're underachieving despite a lot of talent. I think one of the biggest deficiencies is at quarterback. And yet, both parties think they're in a place to win. They've like, you know, they've done their tinkering. They tried to fix the relationship <laughs> in all the little ways. And they think it's going to work out. But when everybody from the outside can just see, like, they could both do better. The Vikings deserve a quarterback who could bring them a title and win by themselves. Kirk deserves a team that will make the most out of his talents and do a better job of building a winner around him. So I think both parties in this case have settled for each other. They've convinced this is the right move. But, you know, everybody outside can see. They can both do better. Okay, so here's a follow-up. Where do you think Kirk Where do you think Kirk would fit better than Kirk Cousins? I don't Anybody know. can chime uh, in. I don't even t- know either. I can't uh, think of yeah, a team. Yeah. I don't know. A team with a better offensive line probably yeah. would be the, that would be the main thing. The Browns? There we go. Uh, Transition. Speaking of. <laughs> speaking of the Browns, let's, our last relationship is another, I would say, pretty tumultuous one, actually. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. Bart, what do you think? I don't have too much more original to say at this point. We've we've covered a lot of the points I was going to say. I'm going to I'm going to combine a few different pieces though. This is also kind of like Lucas was just saying to me. This is a relationship where somebody makes a lot of mistakes, but it's still happening. I think Baker is the one who makes the mistakes. The Browns <laughs> keep con- keep convincing themselves. Okay, maybe this time he'll change, but he doesn't. You know, he, he it's the kind of thing where he. He sees that it's rocky, so maybe he goes and buys flowers. Maybe he cooks dinner tonight. Maybe, maybe <laughs> he gets a girl. And it, and it makes you think that, oh, okay, like maybe he actually is serious about improving this relationship. But then every time you realize that, okay, he's actually not that good. Um, and so the Browns have just convinced themselves that he actually is fine, but I don't think that he is. And this is, again, like we were just saying, like the world seems to agree that, Brown, that Baker is not the one for them. Uh, but they're the ones who picked up his player option last year, so he's under contract for one more year. And they're the ones who, like, I think there were reports already this offseason that said, we're sticking with Baker. Obviously, you don't know how like how reliable that is. But I think this is kind of like what I was saying with Wentz. Like, they're settling for each other. Will they be able to do it better? What, I, what is different for me in this case is that I do think that the Browns actually want to stick it out with Baker. Um, it's also fortunate because he is only under contract for one more year. They're not really, like, in a championship window. Like, they've got Miles Garrett locked up for a long time. They've got Nick Chubb locked up for a few more years. They don't have any, like, you know, any players that they, like, really want to capitalize on being on the roster right now. So I think if they just play it out one more season and then break up the relationship, if you will, they're not going to hate themselves for it. And as we've been saying, who who will they be able to get that's better? I think they're going to stick it out. Aiden? Yeah, I agree with Bart that uh, I'm out of original metaphors in general. Um, but I, I think we've got a, the the Browns from the beginning, you know, Baker was a bit of a fixer or early on. A lot of people didn't believe and they were like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fix this guy. Um, and for a while, mm-hmm. it looked like maybe they would. You know, there was a long period where he was, you know, uh, maybe talking about his career more, talking about going back to school. Um, you know, as Bart said, bringing those flowers, more attentive and whatnot, <laughs> um, cooking dinner. Um, and then it kind of fell apart of late and we begin to wonder, are they just kind of hanging out together? Uh, cause they, they don't know anything else and they're, they're staying with each other for a bit until they, they find a better long-term move. So I think it's a, it's a one year lease kind of situation where they're, they're buying apartments, they're renting apartments, excuse me. Um, uh, but we're not talking about making anything official. And if anything is made official, it's, it's for tax purposes. It's, you know, it's, it's <laughs> um, so I, I think that they, they will end up together, but I think it will only, it won't be a, um, a happy, 
um, like, oh, hooray, passionate kind of marriage. You're more like, yeah, I guess we'll have to do this kind of thing. Speaking of tax purposes, I learned in a tax law class that somebody's taking that their professor told them if you want to save on your taxes, you should never get married ever. So, just <laughs> interesting. interesting. <laughs> I don't know if we, I love that from other perspectives, but, you know, for tax purposes, because you combine your income so it becomes more, so you get taxed more. Well, that's interesting. Despite any other savings yeah. you get from, like, marriage exemptions. But what if only what if one of you works? works? Then... Loophole. Ooh. Then it's a benefit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm retiring the We've second I get married. Is that my adverse effect on the marriage? If that wasn't discussed in advance, unrelated to our marriage yesterday. I am retiring. Well, hopefully you got either. Hopefully you got a laugh out of that last segment, or hopefully we didn't bring you down with that segment. But well, we're gonna talk about saving the Olympics. Mic drop, end it. NBC and Peacock can't be happy with the viewership of the Olympics. I am told that the 2020 Winter Olympics was the lowest ratings ever for U.S. U.S. television audience. Um, Lucas, what do you think we can do to make the Olympics more accessible again? And what do you think caused the lack of interest this year? Okay, so I'll start with the what caused the lack of interest this yeah. year. I think one thing to note is that the Winter Olympics are always less popular than the Summer Olympics. So some of that needs to be factored in when looking at the numbers. But even so, I think like of the 14 nights the Olympics were on TV, only one of them was not in like the bottom 25 most watched Olympic nights in history. And that was the one immediately after the Super Bowl. So like every like normal coverage night of the Olympics this time was in the bottom 25 of nights of the Olympics watched ever. Um, so, but I think there are a number of factors that contributed first specifically to this Olympics is Olympics fatigue. We just had one six months ago, so it feels less momentous than it normally does. Like one of the cool things about the Olympics is that, you know, it's only every four years or every two years, but you know, you only get the specific one every four years. Um, but because COVID happened and it's still happening, but it delayed the Tokyo Olympics to, summer 2021 so we literally just had one six months ago it seems less momentous people are less invested uh problem two a lot of it was on peacock and not many people have the streaming service and so you're less invested if you can't see as much of it. i i get the primetime coverage is there and still important but if you don't get the build-up to what's happening in the olympics it feels less momentous if you're just seeing like cut up clips as opposed to the whole thing on tv and so much of it was on peacock this year especially because nbc doesn't have nbc sports network anymore they deleted it in an attempt to, like, just move on to Peacock. And they still put some of their stuff on USA, uh, but it's really going hard on Peacock, and I think that probably hurt it as well. Third, the last few Olympics have all been kind of lower rated, um, and I think it's because of the time zone differences in America have been really bad the last three Olympics. They were in Pyeongchang, South Korea, Tokyo, Japan, and Beijing, each of which are 12 or 13 hours uh, difference from the East Coast and 9 or 10 hours from the West Coast. There's really nothing you can see live because normal things are in the primetime hours uh, and which is like 4 a.m. in Seattle and 7 a.m. in New York, or like a best case scenario. Um, so if you can't see three straight Olympics live and the results come in live, then I think you're going to naturally lose some interest. Four, just like more broadly speaking, there have been some pretty sketch things about the Olympics too that I think have like turned people off as well. I, re I read a really good article in the Atlantic about this about how the games themselves have sort of lost some of the zeal because of the whole doping scandal with Russia. It makes it seem like a little bit 
less legitimate. Um, they're facing a similar problem with the baseball in that way, in which like the legitimacy of the whole sport has been kind of undercut. The Olympics themselves wreck cities financially. So I think people less often see it as like a good investment um, and more like hurting local communities. And third, the IOC has some pretty bad corruption issues because I learned this in doing the research. Not every country is guaranteed a spot on the IOC. They just pick the countries who get representatives on the IOC. Mm-hmm. So like a bunch are excluded. There are only 100 members in what, like 200 countries. So it's like, you know, half of people don't have voices. So they can pretty much do whatever they want. Yeah. So all of that sort of combining, I think, is what has led to the sort of dip in the Olympics this year. But, you know, we're going to walk through some solutions to each of these problems. Because it's kind of sad. I love the idea of the Olympics, and I love watching it every year. Um, and I get to see sports I never would. And you get to see people from all around the world compete, which I think is cool. So in terms of Olympics fatigue, that one's going to fix itself. Is it barring, you know, another act of God, like we're going to have, like it's there's not going to be like Olympics six months apart anymore. So that that fixes itself. That's out of the way. Issue two, Peacock. NBC needs to just like admit that Peacock is not going to happen in the way that I think they want it to happen. Um, and put it on regular TV more than just like once a night from like 8 to 11 p.m. The Olympics has some really great stories. And I think that the NBC doesn't always do a great job of like the way it structures its coverage to get people invested in the Olympics. Um, the way they do it, I've seen is they focus on a few individual stories about individual individual athletes. Like Nathan Chen and Michaela Schifrin were, I think, like the two big ones that they focus on a lot this year. Both great stories, both great athletes, even though Michaela Schifrin kind of struggled this Olympics. Um, but I think you have to mix in, one, stories from a lot more athletes than just two. Like, if you're only telling the stories of really two athletes as, like, the overarching narratives, okay, I'll watch the figure skating final, and I'll watch some of the skiing events that she's in, but I don't, I'm not super invested in anything else. Maybe Sean White, they gave him some promo time or whatever, but, you know, I'm not invested in, like, the lesser sports like bobsled or like in biathlon or curling or name whatever. And I also think that like when you focus on the U.S., especially in the Winter Olympics, the issue with the Winter Olympics is that like the U.S. is fine, but we're not very good. So if you only try and focus on like the good U.S. Winter Olympic athletes, you're like pool is kind of narrow at that mm-hmm. point. So I know it's like it's the American coverage, but I think you get a lot more interesting coverage if you like pulled in more stories from athletes around the world. And two, I think there needs to be more focus on sports and the narratives within them as opposed to individuals. I'm not going to tune in for like curling or biathlon or bobsled or sled or skeleton or luge or something like that um, because of some person I've previously never heard of. I'm going to probably tune in because I'm getting updates about who or what is going on as you progress towards the final. Like I'm invested in how it progresses and less so probably in the individual story. I think this is a bigger problem with sports media in general, which I think coverage is focused to become like too like personality based and like i feel like a reason i don't watch a lot of sports coverage as much as i used to is because it's become more about that which i find less interesting i know they're like conflicting opinions on that but in terms of fixing it from my own perspective issue three time zones is kind of unfixable and unless you do it in one place every year bart has brought this up as a suggestion and i don't hate it one from the financially wrecking cities perspective and two from the like consistency of when it's going to be perspective but i just don't think the ioc would ever do that and so I just think that, like, the time zone thing is, like, kind of unfixable. Mm. And issue four, like, all the systemic issues, you just have to crack down more on doping. You have to make sure cities are given financial support for the Olympics so they don't get financially wrecked. Like, the, the IOC is, like, a huge institution with a lot of money. They could better fund, like, what is going on there and then, like, put funding into communities after. Um, and then you just need to, like, fix the corruption issues, give everybody a voice and all that sort of stuff. And I think it would be seen as a less sort of corrupt process. So 
those are the problems and solutions I see with the Olympics. Does anybody else have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think um, I think you actually made up a pretty good point about like f- focusing on the sports themselves, and also like how the mech- how like the mechanisms of that sport work. Like mm-hmm. when I tune into luge or whatever, I it's just like all right, they're just rolling down a hill. Like tell me, <laughs> like tell me what are they doing? And, like how are they yeah. extracting some extra speed? That sort of stuff. And because like with the summer, I think part of the also reason that the summer Olympics might be a little more popular is those are more traditional sports where we understand like track like what are they trying to do soccer we understand what they're trying to do where you don't really understand even in like curling i kind of understand that one but like give me a little bit more insight like a little more analysis maybe at least when i was watching the coverage it i it was a little inaccessible in my opinion in terms of like really dialing down on the sports and yeah like lucas said you they focus more on like the person the personality or whatever of the of the person or like their backstory which I think can be helpful. Like I always go back to the Formula One example of like documentary storytelling has a lot of opportunity to create some more fans within various sports. Um, I'm not sure like if Luge has the same community that Formula One could have, but I think um, maybe some sort of like coordinated Olympic, like a U.S. Olympic Committee effort might turn into like a pretty good documentary. And you need to promote that a little bit earlier. And, yeah. like, not just through the traditional methods, but, like, think about, like, how much exposure you get by being on, like, the front page of Netflix. The 220 million subscribers that turn on Netflix, the first thing they see, oh, shoot, this, this um, like, really nicely made, it's number one in the U.S. today or whatever, you know, whatever they say um, about the Olympic Committee. Maybe I'll watch that. And then, like, it gets, it gets steamed like Squid Game does or, like, all that stuff, you know what I mean, yeah. on other channels that aren't just your network. Mm-hmm. could be beneficial yeah yeah and i agree with lucas that um like i feel like nbc tried to do the narrative thing to some perspective to some degree at least <clears throat> but it just felt or i watched a lot of the olympics and just felt exhausting how much time they spent on just a couple people like nathan mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many times they replayed nathan chen's you know winning free skate or whatnot mm-hmm. which was great um or how much time they spent like going on and on about how Michaela Schifrin, you know, kept failing and then would have another event. Um, so I feel like even if there aren't a ton of big U.S. Olympic stars, um, they should branch out a bit. Um, even if it's to like an international competitor, a competitor, I feel like just anyone um, to some degree. Um, but to kind of one point on the, I guess, um, Olympics ratings defense is that like we all talk about like shifting viewing habits, right? And the fact that people mm-hmm. don't watch stuff the same way just on primetime TV and watch, you know, a four hour mm-hmm. block of Olympic coverage. Um, and it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see if they can kind of get the stats afterwards on like YouTube views and that kind of stuff. Because it seems like like videos of Nathan Chen or um, Camilla Velieva, the you know now disgraced, I guess, Russian skater, got like 2.5 million views like in less than a day. Um on their free skates. So I think like the drop off from one event to another uh, or from one Olympics to the next um, could, you know, somewhat be explained by that. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think the Olympics should really 
double down on that to some degree and that like i like watching the four hour <laughs> olympics mm-hmm. thing um but it does lend itself better to like more <laughs> compressed clips of things than other sports mm-hmm. like we've seen nba finals ratings go like way down over the past couple of years we've seen world series ratings go down over the past couple of years those are harder sports to then like watch a recap of or something it's not it's not the same whereas i can watch a recap of a three minute skating thing um or of like you know a couple champion skiers on their one minute rundown um so i feel like it does the olympics does kind of lend itself more to some of that more less attention focused um clip stuff um and that might be somewhat of the future for it to not just have us sit there for two hours with a lot of downtime i love the fact that humanity's attention span I know, I know, <laughs> definitely. Dropping. Um, w- one thing I just wanted to add, I you took the words out of my mouth, and I was going to talk about the social media stuff in the video. Like, it's apparently, like, I saw it quoted as, like, one of the biggest video events ever. Yeah. And so, like, that's just not going to be conveyed in TV ratings. Um, I was going to say, though, one other thing regarding Peacock is that apparently they saw, like, a pretty big uptick in subscribers. So, like, as annoying as it is to do oh. this, like, it clearly was, like, a deliberate attempt to gain viewership or gain subscribership. Like, it clearly worked, and so I don't know if it's a smart business idea to do it again come, like, the next Olympics in 2026, but, uh, like, from NBC's point of view, (laughs) maybe the simple, like, response is they don't care (laughs) because they're gaining subscribers, and, like, at the bottom, at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line for them. So that's kind of, that'll be a weird thing to to monitor. Maybe they can tie that in with the fact that people want to consume it in smaller tidbits, like Aiden was just saying. Like, maybe they can social mediafy it a little bit via Peacock. But uh, I, I just thought that that was interesting. Yeah, it'll also be interesting to monitor, and I probably should have monitored this from the Summer Olympics, as to how many people, like, just, you know, unsubscribe from Peacock two months or whatever their trial or initial period yeah. is right after, um, and how many are sustained. Or even the Notre, the Notre yeah. Dame game. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. exactly. Tune in, you have to tune in to Peacock to exactly. watch one Notre Dame game. And then they, like, advertise like crazy for their NBC-specific shows, but they don't seem like enough to you know compare to a netflix or an hbo max or something Mm -hmm. um so it really does feel like a like this is going to work in the short term for nbc but the olympics and you know big events like the super bowl and the olympics are only so often right so um, right yeah one other comment i had on um stuff i liked in the olympics that i would like to see more of and maybe Mm -hmm. people um, I might be like trying to gamify sports and sport purists would like hate me for it. Um, but I did see a couple attempts at more like head to head kind of competition in the mm-hmm. Olympics, which you don't get a ton of in a lot of these winter Olympic sports. A lot of it's just timed, right? And they, you know, give you a little monitor as like how behind or ahead somebody is. And it's, I don't know, I don't find it the most stimulating, though I understand a lot of sports kind of have to work that way. Um, but like, for example, there was a team skiing event at some point where they both go down the hill at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, and like the winner gets a point and like, they each have like four people go two men, two women kind of thing. Um, which was Mm -hmm. super fun to watch. I thought, um, snowboard cross, which isn't new, but like snowboard and ski cross where they, I think that's what it's called, where they race against each other. Um, and kind of like jockey for position is another super fun one that I feel like they didn't show. I remember in primetime, like the men's or women's, they showed like a teen version of it, but they just didn't show it all, um, kind of the individual version. Um, and I feel like those are sports that Americans could get into. I feel like Americans like watching like people go after each other and there'd be like a winner and a loser in each kind of, um, in a race or something like that. 
Um, so I feel like those sports could be, they could spend more time on as opposed to like, I'm sick of watching bobsled. I just don't find it interesting. <laughs> you could show me like the best what? bobsledder in the world against Boom. someone else. I'm sorry. Again, against like, you know, a split screen <laughs> with the worst one. And I just don't really see a difference. You know, I get that yeah. someone's cutting the turns a little bit better, uh, but I just, it does not hold my, my, my attention. <laughs> I think what Jared was saying earlier about like if the, uh, if the yeah. commentators could explain more details mm-hmm. about the yeah. sport, that would be yeah. very helpful. Yeah. yeah, because I feel like it's just like, oh, they took that turn fast. Yeah. Oh, they <laughs> took that turn fast. Yeah, yeah look like, at the I speed love, yeah. bringing down like exactly. Or if we can yeah, manufacture like... more accidents. Uh, no, I'm like, bump into something. I'm like, oh, I saw that. Like, like I, I got also, it. can you imagine how electric like a bobsledding race against each other? Yeah, <laughs> like, that, that, would be, that would be cool. <laughs> That would be crazy, right? People would die. <laughs> no, but not, but not, on, the same, not on the same like, tube. It has to be on the same tube. <laughs> yeah. No, what if they, it's like a marble race? It's like a marble race. Exactly. You, like, yes. you put the, some of them are on like they're all equal distance, but some like are more turns. I don't know. And then at some point they merge, but not. <laughs> <laughs> and you better hope they're not at the same speed. Yeah. Or like skeleton or luge, oh, like racing yeah. against each other. Insane. I, I would watch a marble race version of that, though, Jared. I, I would. See? Yeah, I would too. No, I thought I agree with you. And the the thing where they did like them race against each other, I thought was like one of the most like fun things yeah, they watched, like yeah. Olympics and stuff. The skiing. Yeah. Although it was wild too, because like the one course was just faster. <laughs> so it was whoever like whoever was on the blue course just won like every single time. And so it always just came down to the tiebreaker of who's fast. This person was faster. I'm so mad about that. <laughs> like in, unless somebody fell, like the person who was on blue won like and every single time. And they kept putting Michaela Schiffer in, who the whole time the narrative oh. of the Olympics was that she kept losing, oh. and they kept putting her on the red, and she'd lose by red. like point zero three, and you'd be like, oh my god, <laughs> like, this, is, oh. this is terrible. It was brutal. How, how did they fail to see that coming? It really boggles my mind. <laughs> yeah, I don't you know. You can't plan for everything. Um. Well, I think that's going to do it for the 118th episode of the Youth Thought Sports Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please consider us giving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Youth Thought Sport. Um, if you didn't like it, keep it to yourselves, as Wyatt always says. Um, but tune back in next week for another episode, hopefully with the full crew.